Welcome to Tech Breakfast, today's top headlines served hot by your host Aaron Bewley and Tyler Gates. So grab your coffee and let's get into it. It's Monday, October 5th, and guess what? It's World Space Week. Celebrated in over 95 nations around the world, it's officially defined as an international celebration of science and technology and their contribution to the betterment of the human condition. So get out there, look up, and celebrate what exploring space has done for the human race. Tyler, Russ, how you guys doing? Doing well, man. I doing feel like that's well. celebrating Tyler in some degree. When I think of science, yeah. I think of Tyler. I'm so, made of yeah. science. So congratulations on your day, Tyler. Thanks, buddy. That is <laughs> it's that's a week. pretty cool. Space oh, week. the whole week. Oh, I get the, the whole week. week. The whole man. week. That's awesome. I actually didn't know about that, so I feel like I have to pass on the award that you bestowed. Okay, well, then you're not getting it. But that's really cool. I'm glad that it's a thing, and I'm glad that it's now. So I completely agree with the sentiment. Go outside. look. (laughs) I'm glad that it's a thing, and I'm glad that it's now. (laughs) (laughs) Have you all all ever seen those lists of things humans developed uh, from space programs? Uh, I have seen uh, some of them, but I certainly don't know them exhaustively. Yeah, well, so I don't know that anyone knows them truly exhaustively, but oh, uh, somebody does. Know, if you go, Elon does. <laughs> if you get, if you go and Google it, you know, like things that have in, have been invented due to uh, what we've been trying to accomplish in space or whatever, right? You get a bunch of different things, but uh, there's one I pulled up this morning: the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, uh, California Institute of Technology from NASA. Uh, the top twenty things that they listed: uh, camera phones, right? Ooh, so them inventing. That's important. Yeah, so the Jet Propulsion Laboratory worked to create cameras small enough to fit on spacecraft uh, yeah. with scientific quality, right? So then that it goes on scratch resistant lenses, CAT scans, LEDs, yeah, uh, I remember the CAT scan removal. One. That's cool. I didn't know LEDs. Foil blankets, were from the space water program. purification systems, dust busters, ear thermometers. It just goes on and on and on. Well, look, this is a perfect example of why whenever people make the argument that spending money on space research yep. is just wasted, how it's absolutely not. It's it's critical to some of those things. That you yeah, just mentioned, yeah. like water That's, purification, seems to be incredibly important to our survival. Man, then it had you, me. You, you could go down about... a rabbit hole there uh, <laughs> because stuff like the uh, super colliding superconductor that was supposed to be built in Waxahachie, Texas, and ultimately got defunded for wow, well, I actually don't know the entire history, but it wouldn't surprise me. It was political, among other things. But um, a lot of the arguments uh, were it was going to collapse the world. That was kind of physically ridiculous but yeah create a black hole sidestep that one for a minute um <laughs> it, it, a lot of the arguments against it is like it's millions and it was it was many millions of dollars that were going to be spent on something that people couldn't immediately see what the scientific output that was going to somehow contribute back to usually the economy and um of course the discoveries from stuff like those massive uh Super colliders and things like that. CERN ended up sort of taking that mantle after the superconducting super collider here got uh, yanked. But the discoveries fuel so much more than just the theoretical physics that's being experimentally tested, right? Yeah. So, in fact, we just sent a rocket up. I think it was Saturday, maybe, that had some like experimental cancer research research things in it. Cool. Uh, there's a new toilet. <laughs> There were some jokes around That's like a twenty-eight million dollar <laughs> toilet that they sent up. <laughs> but in looking that, at this, the one too, that Wallowitz worked on, big Big Bang Theory, no one. Oh, okay. Nothing. I was like, that one okay. went over my head. Wow. Yeah. All right, listener, someone help me out here. One no, of you. I, I know what you're talking about. I, I didn't watch that show as much as I think I would have enjoyed to. Oh. My wife didn't. It didn't really watch resonate it with her. So yeah. Well, so it had me going through that list and looking at 
kind of ear thermometers was one that stuck out to me when it said it uses yeah, infrared uh, astronomy technology to measure the amount of energy emitted by the eardrum. So, cool. so then it just had me fascinated about going into some of those inventions and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, good morning to you fellas. How's that for an intro? My goodness. That's a strong way to start it. I Very like it. Yeah. All right. So let's get all into right, some Let's wrap it up. Let me jump into uh, something awesome. real quick off the top here. Uh, I don't know if y'all have heard this, but Twitter uh, is experimenting with something called Birdwatch, fighting hmm. misinformation. I don't know if y'all have Yay. seen this in your apps or I anything. I don't think I've seen it specifically for Twitter, but I've seen a lot of sort of social media type of news around fighting misinformation and whether or not people are, whether or not they're being fair to what what is misinformation versus someone's opinion? You know, it's, yeah. I've seen a lot of talk like that lately. So well, I think is, it's kind of, watch? I think it's pre, okay. Yeah. So let's, let's get into bird watch. Uh, so it, they haven't quite explained exactly what it's going to work or, or what it, what it is and how it's going to work. Um, but they came out and they said, we're exploring a number of ways to address m- misinformation and provide more context for tweets on Twitter. Misinformation hmm. is a critical issue and we will be testing many different ways to address it. Now, what they're doing here is, People can, I guess, click on a tweet and then, you know, when you go and you can report a tweet for abuse or whatever, you can click on Birdwatch and then you can add information that says something like, hey, this is misinformation because of this, that, and the other thing. It's like peer review. It's like crowdsourcing. It is. uh, Yeah, it it is. But it's also. If it's valid. Yeah, but I don't see how it's different. I'm, I'm trying to see how it's different than somebody just replying to the tweet. Right. right. saying, hey, this is misinformation because of this, that, and the other thing. Now, maybe it raises a flag for folks at Twitter. Hey, I need to go check out this specific tweet because it's been, it's got a lot of traffic on Birdwatch. So, it's uh, just interesting. Hold so on. Keep so, what's, the, what's the order of operations here? They they click a button and then they basically send feedback to? Um, or, yeah. well, you okay, would make, I just pulled you it would up. Add to Birdwatch. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, pull up that link right there. Yeah, yeah, no. I, so I, I agree. I have a feeling that it is. You're exactly right. It's a flag. That's that's yeah. what it comes down to. Is like normal comments that mean probably very little to whatever human or system is monitoring it. Whereas sure. add to Birdwatch starts flagging Russ? these things for for view. Nope. We yep. You back? Can hear Russ just fine. Oh, maybe I lost him. Yeah, okay. I think you, you've you've gone in and out very slightly. It's been fine. Um, but I think that might be what it is on on your end occasionally. Ooh, up I'm in the sorry. mountains. Okay. Yeah. Super reliable internet up here. Oh, yeah. Cool. Well, I'm assuming you made a strong point there. And I'll, I'll just springboard. Our, I, springboard I made, I made a point. Let's go ahead and move on to the next <laughs> one. Springboard all you need to. <laughs> all right. Uh, okay. So then kind of tangentially related. Uh, I don't know if you all remember when. I know you do because we did a show about it. Uh, when big tech leaders went and uh, testified in front of the Senate. Well, yep. they are taking another vo- virtual, quote unquote, pilgrimage um, on October 28th. And this time it will be questions specific to Section 230 protections. For those of y'all that don't know, Section 230 is from a U.S. federal law in 96, 1996. And uh, so it's Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act of 96. And I was thinking when I read that, what was the internet around? Yeah, oh, okay, it was. yeah. So like, this, that was this right is, at the birth. We of, talked about this a lot. Uh, yeah. th- this is specific to so that that section is the section that is it protects website owners from being held responsible for publishing content that's published to those websites. 
Right. It's literally what keeps the internet free and open in the United States. It's what lets sites like Wikipedia function if someone puts something into a description for a human that could be potentially uh, construed as libel, for instance. Yeah. Wikipedia is not responsible for that garbage. And right. and that's I mean this is this is the core of the crux of this whole argument. And uh, man, I, I hope uh, I hope they succeed in defending against it because I, I think this will imperceptibly change the way that the internet works if uh, if they if they start pulling away those protections, it will not be pretty. Yeah. Well, and I'm super curious what our listeners think too, because there seem to be divisions all over the place. The article I was reading about it um, was even drawing divisions. Uh, imagine that between uh, the two parties, uh, the two uh, political parties here in the U.S. Um, but the whole point here is that lawmakers have threatened to change it, right? Mm. And it worries me on on what that ends up looking like. And I think yeah. that some some of this stuff, like Birdwatch, is Twitter kind of trying to get out ahead of this trying to figure out how they can mitigate these risks, right? Because if if the law does change and 230 is struck from the books and now suddenly Twitter is responsible for what, you know, you know, Joe Schmo from who wherever posts onto Twitter, that to me seems absolutely ridiculous. Well, the burden but, is uh, too extreme that you can't yeah. think, think about like a Facebook and a Twitter and any popular social media platform where everyone can just go on and say what they want with varying levels of an- anonymity, depending on what platform it is. Yeah. If you're responsible for everything that anyone says on it, it means that your policing of content has to be extraordinary or you right. will constantly be litigating against other people's comments. Yeah. Like this was the same. you'd have to keep up with the flood. Yeah. And this was the same comment. I mean, tie that to what happened with GDPR, where they were <laughs> going to hold people responsible for uploading. Yeah, exactly. Like anybody that wanted to enter the market from a tech platform perspective would have to compare a video that somebody uploaded against all other videos on the internet to determine if this is a new thing or if this is something that somebody else has uploaded and they should uh, limit that. Have you guys ever heard of the Stratechery um, website? It's did you make up that word? I didn't, yeah, but I'm pretty sure Ben Thompson did. Who's Is that like strategize? <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> so I think we actually made a comment, or we had a podcast I don't know, a few months ago around like paid content on the internet, and I made a mm. comment about how like I yeah. absolutely would pay for content. Well, this I'm actually true to my own word, so I, I do pay for access to this this guy's site. So it's a, it is a subscription service. To, to access his blog. And so it, on May 28th, he, uh, on Stratechery, had a, a, a you know, a, I guess, an article over this, Trump's Executive Order Section 230 in Court and Public Forums. And he, he provided a very interesting take on this. And, and more so, he kind of was going through the ins and outs. He, was, he provides analysis on, on certain mm-hmm. things in the tech industry. That's, that's what he does. Cool. And as he's going through his analysis, he, he kind of points out that the, the arguments as far as like the court case here are, are somewhat soft in general. But what he does hope that comes from this, and I, I really liked this perspective, was that he, he sort of hopes that Trump will sign the order and that the arguments have to go through mm-hmm. uh, some increasingly widespread and, and thorough, you know, basically refutement in courts. Yeah. He wants to see them challenged, if Become only because... Basis. Yeah, because they're so 
a lot of our rules or laws or guidelines or whatever it is that we've created in the 80s, 90s, maybe even early 2000s, maybe don't still stand very well today. And I yeah. think what he's pointing out is, is that seeing these things soundly refuted, which he actually thinks they, they would be, would be very, very valuable just for the industry in general. And I thought that was an incredible perspective because I think a lot of this actually got started by some action by Twitter um, and, and some of their fact labeling that they were doing mm-hmm. uh, several months ago. And I think that's where a lot of this started to, yeah, to I think crop you're, up. You're probably right. That's a, I. I, it sounds like having not read the Stratechery, um, you know, material that that what what I think is really neat about that perspective is that it sounds like the perspective is I want this to happen because I'm confident that it will not be uh, or, or I'm confident that it will be upheld, right? And that's my my yep. position is I do not want to see those protections go away because it is it is more than a slippery slope. I think that's I think it's just ugly. It's bad. It's barriers to entry that would prevent new platforms from being enshrined. It, it's it's bad news bears. But if if the if he's right, if the if the real I guess future state of this is that it becomes permanently, you know, a I guess a, a body of evidence against moving that goalpost in any direction that, that that's a good thing right like it, yeah, fundamentally maybe, it maybe becomes it how the internet functions yeah at, at a very high legal and, and don't get me wrong either like i'm not a legal scholar that knows this section 230 of the communications decency act of 1996 by any means Lame. but right um and and i say that because there are probably things that could be done to make it better but it's dangerous to go and modify things like that when fundamentally what they're there for is to make sure that we have a free and open internet in the United States at least. So I, I don't want that toyed with, right? I, I yeah. like what we have when it comes when, to free how would, and open internet. And how would they, to your point earlier, Tyler, how would they even keep up? I mean, we talked about it on a previous podcast episode like, you know, 4,000 hours uploaded to YouTube every you know, minute or whatever. It's <laughs> it's all of it. So, well, and, yeah. and what's worse, I, Russ already commented on it is it's not even like, okay, Twitter, Facebook, uh, you know, the apples, the Googles of the world, they, they'll come up with answers to this. Right. And, you know, probably put some really spongy language in if they were to make a modification that says you have to do something, something, sada, sada, best effort. Well, what the heck does best effort mean? Well, yeah. Google and Apple and Twitter and Facebook with their incredible resources can come up with a best effort that becomes a baseline expectation for any social platform. And you have just permanently undone the ability for any small startup to enter the space because the best effort of the giants far exceeds what you're going to get resources-wise to even try. And that's, that's bad. You know, what's interesting is, is that, um, you know, the social dilemma, we've talked about it before. Um, it highlights this idea that like the, I don't know if misinformation is necessarily the right term, although I do think that's what they use, but they definitely meant like uh, content that is very highly debatable and can Mm. be viewed as misinformation is something that drives revenue for these social media companies. In fact, they, they encourage it. I don't know if you guys saw this. Facebook actually put a rebuttal out there stating that they do not press this and like put a, a very long in PDF format. No, I, I was, know. I was reading this from someone who says they've covered, uh, I guess maybe it was digital marketing or something for the last 20 years and said that they've, they've covered the social 
the social giants and, and pointed out that this was a unprecedented response to something, which probably wow. meant that 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 documentary is having hit, some hit tangible effect. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's doing something, and so I think it's interesting that on one end you see. Uh, a company, you know, one company is trying to fight the misinformation. The other one's sort of rebuting that misinformation helps them, which I guess is sort of complimentary. And that's, it's just an interesting perspective. Whereas, you know, we see a lot of this information coming out right now about how it's like, it's all about, you'll never change the way these companies operate unless you change the way their, you know, finances work, which is true mm-hmm. of a lot of industries. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and this kind of goes in the face of that. If they actually are able to, to fight it, I just, I think much like you guys, I, I have no idea how they're going to be able to feasibly do it. Right. Uh, it's just too it's too much interaction from humans to to be able to actually sure. sort through all this stuff. See, yeah. but the fear I have in this and all right, man, tinfoil hat, go ahead and put it on for a second. But oh boy. is that if if you're going to engage those tech companies today to defend this ecosystem, then you might be giving them a forum to rewrite the rules in their favor too. Absolutely. Sure. And that's not yeah. okay. In again, in my opinion, I would agree. It, I do not want Facebook and Google to determine what the future of free and open internet looks like, even if on the surface it's to make things better. Like it's just too dangerous to let them make well, an adjustment maybe. to something so basic in this yeah. space right now. Well, maybe what they're doing too, right? They're subpoenaing the subpoenaing. How do you say that word? Them gather information, and then they create a group that then goes on and makes those rules. But uh, sure, yeah, no, that's a good point. But, um, there's something else I wanted to. Or, sorry, we're gonna say something else. No, 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 no. I just uh, you. We could we could chase that all day. We don't. Yeah, it's we beat it to death. Moving on. There was something <laughs> else. Yeah. So there was something else you said in there um, that I wanted to jump to another topic on. Um, so this is from uh, Ben Evans.com, Benedict Evans at Benedict Evans on Twitter, if you want to follow him. Uh, and he just published an article this weekend called The End of the American Internet. It caught my eye. So our listener base is 76% uh, Americans. And then just the rest of it is spread um, fairly thin throughout the world with kind of the majority of the rest of it being UK and Ireland and Germany, I think. So shout out to y'all. But this article is for those 76% listeners that are uh, in the US here. So just take this for a second, right? For some perspective. When Netscape launched in 94, and I'm, I'm reading this, this is from Benedict Evans's blog here. Uh, his yep, post. I have it pulled up um, too. In 1994, so when Netscape launched in 1994 and kicked off the consumer internet, there were maybe 100 million PCs on earth and over half of them were in the US. The web was invented in Switzerland and computers were invented in the UK, but the internet was American. American companies set the agenda and created most of the important products and services and American attitudes, cultures, and laws around regulation and speech dominated. Is that right? Mm. Yeah. Oh, cultures and laws around regulation and speech dominated. Maybe I'm not reading that sentence right. No, you read it right. You're on to me. Okay. I was reading it as you were. This is, uh, yeah. So it says, this is not quite so true anymore. 80 to 90% of internet users are now outside the U.S. Read that again. Because I don't think Americans realize this. I mean, I think they do if you were to ask them. But I think if you go and look, at, like, just go talk to, you know, any anybody on the street. Here's the quote again. This is not quite so true anymore. 80 to 90% of internet users are now outside the USA. There are more smartphone users in China than in the USA and Western Europe combined. And the creation uh, of venture-based statistic. startups has gone global. 
What? It's fat. It's just a wild statistic. It's fascinating. Yeah. yeah. So, and I was trying to tie that to what you were saying there earlier around, um, basically just kind of internet regulation stuff and us trying to make laws for ourselves. but how much of that is going to matter in light of other countries not caring about our own laws and then us being the far minority of internet users. Yeah. Which, you know, this was inevitable. And I just looked this up. I was like, as you said that, I said to myself, I'm like, well, what is the percentage of the world population that is American? (laughs) And it's 4.25%. Exactly. So the fact that we are, you know, even, I mean, we are 10 to 20% of the, the world's population that uses the internet is remarkable considering that's, either more than double or more than quadruple what our percentage of population is in yeah. the world. So that was that was interesting as you brought that percentage up. But then I thought to myself, well, that makes sense to me. I mean, we can't be a majority. It's impossible. Well, but then the interesting thing is, so like how does how does that basically fit with the cog? If you imagine like this giant thing moving us forward, right now the US is number one by GDP Uh-oh. ranking, right? Say that again. You cut out for a moment. I felt like it was important. You said right now. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I don't, I guess my internet is, is not great here, but, or at least not consistent, um, which would mean not great anyway. I'm sorry. So number one, nominal GDP rankings by country, the U S right. Tops in GDP at 20.49 trillion. Number two, China at 13 trillion. Number three, Japan at 4.97. Number four, Germany at 4 trillion. UK at 2.83, et cetera, right? So I guess I'm just trying to play this out in my mind when you just said what you said around the US population compared to the US population on the internet, compared to uh, the GDP comparison and all that kind of stuff. And where do we start getting this gravitational pull away from the US with respect to laws governing the internet? I don't know, just a question. Yeah, well, I mean, ask yourself this question, you know, what is leadership? Is leadership the the mass amount of you know who has the most market share of something, or is it influence? Like if you think about, if you think of Apple, they don't hold dominant market share in, in any market they play in, and yet, anytime yeah. they make an announcement, the entire world is on notice. Well, it's and both so, a research area and a practical skill encompassing the ability of an individual group or organization to lead, influence, or guide other individuals, teams, or an entire organization. And catching that 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 word in there is influence, right? And so my point is, is that I think that that was a joke, but I I, I get it. Yeah. But that I think there's a real point here is that like, and this is probably one of the biggest thing that's going on in the political world right now is, and one reason why you know the administration has struggles with China is not just on national security, but because of their world influence. They are China is getting their their, I guess, involvement, they're getting into and controlling a lot of the different international groups across the world. And that is spreading influence. And so if you you take population out of it, the things that are always going to drive what happens in an industry are who influences that change. And I think that we have a dramatic more influence more often than not. But right now, that is being threatened by China. Well, and so that ask, is where I think a lot of this will will really boil down to in laws and, and other stuff yeah. is that the influence inside of those international groups that will be responsible for this. Well, and where does a country find the balance? So take us, for example, uh, where does a country find the balance between regulating their own companies, right? We're going to talk about these tech giants specifically here 
in order to have other companies within the US compete more evenly, more, you know, equitably, mm-hmm. but also still allow them to compete on the world stage against other countries and other tech companies who do not have to face those regulations. Right. It's a, you know, trillion dollar question right there, isn't it? Uh, sure. I really Indeed. just genuinely have no idea, but it's it's what a lot of people are thinking about right now. I can yeah. pretty much guarantee you that. And and okay. there's so many more cogs that, you know, are part of that. There's so many more tentacles that reach out. I mean, it's like if someone is is better competing, but they're leveraging something that you built to do it, then should they be able to technically compete better than you? Like that's what a lot of people ask the question of. And and there's there's all sorts of aspects like that that exist in our planet. And they can go from country to country. It's like we I don't know, maybe we do something that requires a product that's manufactured in China. And then all of a sudden we have this huge advantage because we leverage China, but then should we hold that advantage over China? I, I don't know. It, or, or vice versa. Like there's a lot of things that go into this. It's probably an unsolvable problem, kind of like traffic in many ways. Like you just can't get it a hundred percent right. There's, there's too many variables, but I, I think cars. it's an interesting conversation. Flying, Flying cars. Flying cars. Call me back. Yeah, we Kitty have those Hawk. already. Yeah, do it. <laughs> okay. I think we got, and I'm sorry, we went uh, way deep on that. I think we got like three minutes left on the show. And Is I got distracted else? because oh, no. a UPS truck came barreling around the corner on my new street and blew through a stop sign, hanging a left, looking at oh, the little tablet. Man, I wish we would have cut that And audio. so I dug into a rabbit hole looking at my doorbell cam to see if I caught it. And I'm going to throw shade at him because that's where my kids play and it's not cool. Yeesh. Get them. Uh, Careful, yeah, UPS. Whatever. Okay. Um, well, you guys what else do we want to talk about? Respect the stop sign. Jeez. That's right. That's right. Well, do we have anything we want to close it out on here? Um, I see a lot of phone stuff. Um, yeah. Drop some of that. Let's see. Uh, iPhone 12 pricing was leaked. Oh, what's it going to be? What's it going to be? Let's see. Well, there's, uh, there's ranges. Well, they they were saying that uh, the cheapest iPhone 12 will actually be 50 bucks cheaper than the iPhone 11. The cheapest iPhone 11, I the think. The mini, it's the iPhone yeah. 12 mini, 64 gigs of storage is going to be 650 dollars, uh, which oh, has been right. a lot of topic in the Android world the it's last budget phone last couple of days. Yeah, it's amazing. Say, the budget phone is 650 dollars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The With the high end, yeah, the iPhone 12 Pro Max <laughs> set at 1399. Yeah, let me explain to you why this is a An problem. An inexpensive um, thirteen ninety nine. Come on, guys. When, when I say <laughs> and when I say problem, I'm actually being very loose with it. Uh, the Pixel Five, which I ordered, um, is released for seven hundred dollars. Also being tagged as a budget phone. Um, it's actually a hundred dollars more expensive than it needs to be because Verizon forced the five millimeter wave five G on them when and those parts literally increased the cost of the phone by by a hundred dollars. And so it's one. In the the rest of the world, the f- the cost of the phone is five hundred dollars or six hundred dollars versus seven hundred, and apparently this hundred dollar difference is like creating a very big issue in the phone really? industry because Samsung released a seven hundred dollar Galaxy S twenty FE, iPhone's going to have this six hundred and forty nine dollar version of the iPhone twelve, and everyone's comparing the most minute things. It's like the processor performance of one, the battery of the other. It's like no one even thinks about like the fact that all three of these phones provide a, a fairly different experience. 
And so it's just like, it's all comparing the hard costs on the hardware side of things, you know, what the performance is or, or what it, or what the battery is, whatever to the cost itself. And it, these little differences, like it's literally $50 in either direction on a phone that is several hundred to, to <laughs> over a thousand dollars are causing the biggest arguments I've seen on Reddit in a while. It's quite entertaining. That's awesome. um, so just know that you have a bunch of options now in the six to $700 range, which is now budget that are actually quite good options for you, whether it's pixel or Samsung or, or Apple. And, and you can get like 70, 80% of what these flagships are providing for, you know, half the cost, which I think is just cool in general, regardless of which one is overarching the better. Sure. So that's, that's kind of the news I'm seeing. Splitting hairs, I believe is the term. Quite quite literally. (laughs) I I know we're at time. I can't ignore this one though. Uh, Apple sues recycling partner for reselling more than a hundred thousand iPhones, iPads, and watches. It was hired to dismantle. Yeah, I saw that. Mm, Man, okay, so that is guys. I'm sorry, I do have to drop, so I'm gonna let y'all cover this one because I'm one minute late for something right now. See you, buddy. Very important. We won't. We won't last long without you. Later, Russ. Um, So I saw that one, and first reaction was, "Oh, not cool." You know, your business, you got hired to do a thing, right? And then I remembered how much it bothers me that right to repair and uh, stuff like basically environmental friendliness from these massive producers of technology is just not a thing in most of the world. And I got all bristly because I think it's absurd that, that they are basically paying a company to dismantle these phones. Now, if they're dismantling them with the explicit purpose of reintroducing that technology to something else. All right. I didn't get into it enough to know if that's what's happening, but I doubt it. Um, but it, it, there's so much to double click on in that topic beyond just the shady practice of taking a contract to dismantle a bunch of devices and then flooding the secondary market with them. Um, I, I think that companies like Apple and the producers of Android phones and devices and things like that should be held to a standard that prevents hundreds of thousands of devices that are totally capable of being introduced successfully to a secondary market from ever showing up in a recycle pile in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. The article goes into that around uh, the amount of e-waste. Let's see. Garbage. Yeah. Last year, humans left behind a record amount of e-waste, adding up to 53.6 million metric tons of discarded phones, computers, appliances, and other gadgets. What's wild. So in here, it talks about how Apple figured it out. Do you want to guess? Uh, figured out. Figured out. Oh, that, that it was happening. Yeah. Yes. The, they, uh, it, I'd have to guess that they're getting phone home and they know that the devices yes. are connecting still. Yeah, they they realized so 18% of the devices they had sent this company were still accessing the internet through cellular <laughs> networks. And they're like, That's what? Awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. So, yeah, and that doesn't count some of the devices that didn't have a cellular radio. So, oh, wow. So that, okay, so there's, there's absolutely even more. Yeah. But why would you? I don't understand companies that make decisions like this. Yeah, that if you're a legit company, like, I'm sure money was made. And maybe it comes back to a lot of what we talk about too. What's the punishment really going to be? If Apple is successful in doing what they want to do, they're probably going to destroy them, like orbital relay lasers from space, right? But if it was a regulatory body, it would probably be a slap on the wrist and be like, you know, we know you made, uh, you know, $100 million. You're going to have to give us two and a half back because bad you. Yeah. And who wouldn't do that? Even, Even though that sounds terrible, 
ethics doesn't play when your penalty is 1% of your profit. Well, and, and it's interesting too, because the article gets into, it says the, uh, the recycling firm denies wrongdoing. So the company denies wrongdoing. The company How? doesn't deny that there was theft though. <laughs> what? It's, it says, yeah. So yeah, it we says did that. that <laughs> yeah. It's, it says that, uh, three employees stole the devices on their own behalf. It wasn't the company. And Apple Three. says, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> three. <laughs> Sorry, 100,000 or three. Which one is it? What just well, it's happened? 100,000 devices, right? But but three employees apparently did it. So, oh, right? okay. I get it. So this was internal. Yep. Okay. Still, yeah, like I, your Apple, entire business functions around decommissioning devices, taking it apart and getting rid of them. How do you accidentally 100,000 of them somewhere else? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I like the way you said that, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, Apple's saying, Hey, these employees were senior management. This is ridiculous. The firm can't say that they didn't do anything wrong uh, anyway. Yeah, okay. Well, obviously they're that's it for that. Themselves, but, uh, it, that's come on, just yeah. get out of here. Yeah. All right. Uh, Anything else you want to cover? Uh, there was, um, there were two fun ones that I think we should touch on. One, uh, the Nobel prize was awarded to the folks that discovered hepatitis C. Um, apparently this happened very recently and they were rather surprised that they were awarded the Nobel prize. But, um, I learned some interesting things in the article that I, uh, linked in our notes from the BBC, which is that, um, hepatitis C, uh, was for a while just known to be something that wasn't hepatitis A or B but that was killing people often that got blood transfusions and they didn't know how or why. And the discovery of what became known as hepatitis C has saved countless lives because it led to a, uh, a blood test that's extremely um, specific that mm -hmm. identifies hepatitis C and therefore tosses out transfusable blood that was effectively spreading this uh, disease. And it, it leads to liver failure. It's, it's pretty ugly as a disease in general, but so much of it was happening from blood transfusions. So this was just, I, it, was, it was a really good feel good story. I, I thought it was yeah. awesome. And so it was kind of neat to, to see that and read about it, but uh, <laughs> they apparently yeah. were not, quote, sitting by the phone, the uh, the award or whoever it was that actually gets to kind of notify them of winning the Nobel Prize said that they actually had to try them quite a few times before they got a hold of them. So I thought well, that, that And that's funny too. That's, that's what I keyed on right when you shared the news because I was reading a, a book that touched on a bunch of these kinds of things. And it's pretty funny if you read the these types of award winners throughout history and they are more often than not highly surprised you know it's not like they go and create something and then they immediately think well the, the majority of them anyways what it seems like when you read this um that they're like oh i'm gonna get an award like they're so focused on what they've developed and discovered and all this kind of stuff then you know it's cool yeah no it is neat i also think it takes a really long time to for them to to be given these awards i mean oh, that was sure. uh, i mean this was was the discovery? I'm, I read it and now I've forgotten, but I, it was it was over a decade ago. I mean, sure. Th this is you're talking about literally decades between discovery and then you know receiving a Nobel Prize as an example. So I, I also keep keeping it top of mind for a, a few decades is probably <laughs> not not too. Yeah, key. yeah. Um, yeah, 1989 but, uh, is what it says. No, there you go. Yeah. So, geez, I mean, that's that's a long time. That's 30 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Probably not sitting there thinking I'm going to get a Nobel Prize for this, but but it is cool. You know, they're focused on the science, which is awesome. 
like I said, feel good news. And the other one I thought that was really cool, um, which I'd love to know more about. And if anybody, anybody's listening and knows about this space in general, uh, apparently NVIDIA released what they call the Jetson Nano. And it's a two gig AI board for students and hobbyists that has access to their um, Jetpack SDK, something I'm not familiar with, but would love to learn more about it. And, uh, and then a, a bevy of online training. And it's, it's a $60 basically AI powerhouse that's designed to, you know, kind of what we've talked about democratizing this AI stuff. It's a really cool announcement in my, or from what I can tell on the surface. Um, I've always been a big fan of stuff like Raspberry Pis and microcontrollers, uh, like, um, um, words just left my mouth yeah i mean it's it's a raspberry pi competitor for sure yeah oh yeah for sure but but it's also it it also seems to be really focused focused on the uh, ai and imagine ml side of things as well but uh like i said it's cool because 60 bucks is such an affordable price point for what sounds like a pretty significant advancement over um other platforms to run that kind of technology yeah. So, like I said, if anybody's out there in the robotic space, uh, hobbyist, or or if you're studying it and that's something you're familiar with, if this is actually as cool as it sounds, you know, give us a shout. Let us know. That'd be awesome. Well, what I'm looking forward to seeing too is how these things impact uh, the creation of edge devices, right? I think there's going to be mm-hmm. a lot of innovation that comes out of that. It'd be re- yeah. really interesting. Yeah, to yeah. See. What you can use them for too. Yeah, that's yeah, uh, exactly. that's a good call. I wish I, I want my kids to be into this stuff, but who knows where they're passions are actually going to lie right now it's on like uh power wheels and well holding make their space. food intake uh <laughs> reliant on their participation in this and uh, there you go develop <laughs> ai or don't get fed <laughs> i'm just kidding love your kids feed your kids give them a roof over their head okay uh you want to wrap it up yeah no i think uh, i think that's good i'm sure there's a ton we missed but we always do there's lots of news And that brings another Tech Breakfast podcast to a close. Thanks for listening, everybody. We had a good time chatting. I know we down some fun rabbit holes there. Uh, We hope you enjoyed them as much as we did. And as always, if there's anything we missed or anything that you want to contribute to, let us know. Give us a shout. Thanks for listening. Thanks for subscribing. Tell your friends, and we'll talk to you Wednesday.